Welcome to the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie Selfman, your host. I've been uh, using my voice in my work for about 15 years now. I used to be on the radio. Now I'm podcasting and do a lot of voiceover work. Now, the Fertility Podcast has a whole host of episodes for you from adenomyosis to zero sperm. It's total A to Z of all sorts of things that affect you on your fertility journey. I'm mum to a little boy called Phoenix after having successful ICSI treatment, and that was my reason for starting the podcast. And I hope that if you found us, then you'll realise that you are not alone. This podcast is to help educate and empower you. I brought together as many experts and tried to share as many of your stories as possible. And I now have my wonderful co-host. I'm Kate Davis, a fertility nurse consultant, and I'm adamant that we can all do so much better at understanding our fertility. I'm really passionate about teaching you to take ownership of your fertility, teaching you practical steps, emotional coping strategies and lifestyle changes that you can make to hopefully optimise your chances of conceiving. Now you know who we are, all you need to do is enjoy the show. Here we are again. Kate, how are you? Have you had I'm a good. good day so far? I know you've been throwing logs on the fire to keep warm. I have because my boiler's broken. Oh. At least you have Today, a log burner. Even if I know, you have a broken boiler. I know, and I'm very lucky. I have a log burner in my office, so I can't complain. But this morning I have had a plumber here and a boiler man here. Is this a the Reader's showers... Digest day? <laughs> yeah, the shower's not fixed. Oh God, I wish it was, but no, they're a bit too old. <laughs> um, the shower's not fixed and um, the boiler's not fixed. The boiler will hopefully be fixed tomorrow and the shower probably Thursday. So, Do yeah. Do come and live with me? Yeah, yeah. Well, go, and it's go, so cold. Go to I'm a watching. Hotel. I'm watching a bit of sleet actually outside my window. It's cold today. Yes. Well, at the time of talking, there's a storm gripping the UK. Hopefully, it will have passed mm. by the time of sharing this episode. We're continuing on with our our miscarriage season because we've realised there's so many different ways that it impacts our worlds. And the conversation that we're going to be having today is with a lovely lady called Janet Murray, who's a total kind of digital marketing guru online. You might be following her podcast or following some of her brilliant tips and tricks. And it was initially to talk about the uh, the conversations that she's been having, the articles that she's been writing about secondary infertility, but she also has been sharing her experience of baby loss. So here's Janet now, and we'll make sure that all her details are in the show notes at the end of the episode. So I'm now going to welcome Janet Murray to the podcast. Janet is a digital marketing guru. She's an expert in helping you build an engaged online audience, which I know Kate and I would be quite keen to uh, pick your brains on that, but that's not (laughs) the reason for the conversation today. Janet, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I've been very aware of your work for some time, but I was particularly interested in an article that you shared in January this year talking about secondary infertility, which is something that I've spoken about on the podcast before. And it's something that we need to talk more about. Would you mind just um, starting by telling us a bit about your kind of your route to parenthood? Yeah. So although I often say I've been lucky with very many things in my life but I guess uh, when it comes to having children I haven't been quite so lucky although I do have one child I have my daughter Katie who's 14 but it's been quite a difficult road so I first encountered fertility problems when I first started trying to have a a baby so that would have been back 
now in, I got married in 2003 and I was really keen to have children like straight away. And it became apparent quite quickly uh, that things weren't happening. And it was all a little bit random, but I went to have some kind of routine tests and it turned out that I had a, a liver condition called autoimmune hepatitis. And it's still not fully understood, but there does seem to be some link between uh, women who have liver conditions and fertility and miscarriage and some of the things that I will, I will share with you as we go. So I got that diagnosed and I got medication for that. And along the way, I picked up pancreatitis because I was allergic to some of the medicine that they were treating me with. And I managed to fall pregnant. Quite soon afterwards, actually, all of that had been diagnosed and I started to get the right treatment for my liver condition. And then I had a, an early miscarriage. So I had a, a missed miscarriage. So I got to 12 weeks and started to bleed. And then when I went for my, my scan uh, the following day, the, the, the baby had, had died, the pregnancy had ended. And I found it surprisingly difficult. I'm quite a pragmatic person. I'm normally pretty good at picking myself up and getting on with things. But I just was absolutely devastated. I found it really, really difficult to to move on from that. But um, I did manage to fall pregnant again. And I was absolutely beside myself during that pregnancy, so worried that something was going to go go wrong. And then at about, I think it was 22, 23 weeks, something like that, I went for a routine-ish scan. They were keeping a close eye on me because um, of my liver condition. And the consultant said that he thought that possibly I was showing signs of delivering early. So I had to go back for another appointment and they said that you know, it was okay it looked like actually everything was going to be fine but I ended up going into labour it was actually 12 weeks early and my daughter Katie was born at 29 weeks she weighed just a few pounds and she was very very poorly but we were really lucky because she although she, you know it's a tough time having a child in neonatal intensive care and she went through all sorts of, of horrible horrible things she did come through it and then I was really shocked to, to discover when she was about, I don't know, four or five months old. I think, it, yeah, I think she was about four or five months old to find that I was pregnant again. And it was a massive shock. But I was kind of thinking, well, you know, I've had all of this difficulty. Like maybe, maybe I'm going to get a bit of luck now. And maybe this is just one of these kind of unhappy accidents. I'm going to have two children really close together and all's going to be well and do stop me if it is if it's okay if you, yeah, if you no, want to jump in and ask me any questions um so I kind of thought to myself you know maybe maybe I'm going to get some luck now so I went to my doctor and said you know this is a bit of a shock but I appear to be pregnant so so they did a pregnancy test and then they came out and said no this this pregnancy test is negative and to be honest I thought they thought I was a bit bonkers because I'd had all these fertility problems and this premature baby and I've been back and forth and they knew me, they knew me a lot better <laughs> than they probably ought to have done and I felt a little bit embarrassed to be honest because I think they thought I was bonkers thinking I was pregnant but I just couldn't shake this feeling that that I was pregnant and over the next sort of few months it was I, I kept testing and some pregnancy tests would come back negative, some positive. I went back to the doctors, but they kept saying, no, you're probably maybe just having a miscarriage and, and, and this is kind of the body's way of getting back to normal. But I couldn't shake this feeling that something wasn't quite right. So I started to read up about what was going on on the internet and I started to realise that I was showing symptoms of having an ectopic pregnancy because, and this is the bit that was horrible to discuss, but there were a few kind of things, these positive and negative pregnancy tests um, and there was this kind of unusual sort of brown 
bleeding that I was experiencing. It was when I read that, uh, they describe it like prune juice. I'm sorry if you're eating when you're listening to this. Um, and um, But I, as soon as I read that, I thought, oh, God, actually, I think this is what's happening to me and has been for months. So I went back to my doctor. By that point, I was probably almost 12 weeks pregnant. I was a little bit out of my mind because I didn't know whether I was pregnant or not. And I felt like my doctor thought I was bonkers. And the doctor examined me for the first time. And I think they had referred me for some kind of scan or something, but for some reason it hadn't come through. And said, oh, yeah, actually, uh, you do look like you're pregnant. And I was sent straight for straight to the hospital um, and they diagnosed an ectopic pregnancy. But it wasn't just an ordinary ectopic pregnancy. It was a corneal ectopic pregnancy. So oh. this is when the, you know, so I think ectopic pregnancies are like, you know, one in, I don't know, one in 100,000. Mm. I can't remember the figures. But this was like a kind of um, a really unusual occurrence. And this is when the pregnancy implants in between the uterus and the fallopian tube. It's a really vascular yeah area so I went down for surgery woke up expecting you know probably to have lost a tube or whatever and when I woke up they told me that they hadn't been able to do anything because it was in such a dangerous area that in order to remove the pregnancy they would have had to give me a full hysterectomy and at the time I was I think I was 31 at the time and they hadn't been able to get my consent so they they couldn't do anything so they just closed me back up again so they decided to try this treatment called methotrexate to treat the ectopic pregnancy that took about 12 weeks to resolve. The first lot didn't work. Second time I had it, they're, they're usually used for cancer cancer treatment. And I was back and forth to the hospital for the next 12 weeks or so. And I remember that I first started thinking I was pregnant around the March or April time. And it was only the August, I think, I got clearance that I wasn't pregnant anymore. It just seemed to go on for absolutely ever. Wow. So after that, I thought, well, you know, that's pretty bad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit unfortunate, but, you know, maybe things will be okay but as the years went on after that we were still trying to have a a second child and nothing was happening so I went in for some investigation and when I woke up from the surgery the the consultant said to me the surgeon said to me I'm I'm really sorry but you know your uterus is just a mess it's just full of scarring but he forgot to mention that my daughter where she was born prematurely the placenta had to be delivered had to go into surgery to have it delivered and I think she was saying that perhaps that would had caused some of the damage but basically I was in a bit of a mess and I remember she just said to me at the bedside well you know at least you have one child mm-hmm. and that was really where I really feel that's where it all started because my daughter by that time was I think she was probably about two or three maybe when I had that investigation maybe a little bit older and yeah that was really I think where my secondary fertility journey started so does that kind of give you a a bit of background yes Mm. and I'm keen to get Kate your kind of take on some of Mm. what um, Janet's just been discussing in terms of the ectopic pregnancy yeah there's a a lot there that I I think you know (laughs) a huge lot and actually as well when you were talking and and I kind of I could understand where this was leading to because when you were saying about you felt that you'd been pregnant for months and I'm thinking well normally with a a traditional ectopic pregnancy the pregnancy that's in the fallopian tubes you'll only really get to about six weeks maximum maybe a little bit higher but not very much only a matter of weeks before you're in a lot of pain because obviously the fallopian tube is stretching so with a traditional ectopic pregnancy you you would never get that far but when you've got an ectopic pregnancy which is extra uterine if you like or behind the uterus or 
within the pelvis but not within the fallopian tubes then you can go a lot longer and as you mentioned it is incredibly rare it doesn't happen very often but you can have ectopic pregnancies elsewhere in the body as well and it's quite bizarre how they can navigate their way to a completely different area of the of the pelvis or of the abdomen or of the even you know higher up in the abdomen as well and it's quite scary isn't it and that it's bizarre as well that you felt that you were pregnant yet you were still clearly getting these negative pregnancy tests which again is as you completely mentioned is a well-known sign of an ectopic pregnancy but not always an ectopic pregnancy just in case anyone is really worried it's not always the case but that must have been really terrifying news to receive that and also to know that they couldn't do anything surgically but were going to try methotrexate yeah, it was it was a real shock. And it also it was a shock because I felt like a ticking time bomb, you know, for, yeah. for the 12 weeks while they were trying to treat it, like the first lot of drugs didn't work. And I was basically kind of, you know, I was at home, but sort of still to go back into hospital at any point. And I had, you know, I had a very young child at the time yeah, as well. Was, how old was Katie was, at the time? So she was born in September, but she was meant to be born in, born in December. Sure. So I have this memory of going to see the consultant must have been about the August, September time when she was a year old, but she was, you know, nine months old, really. Mm. She was just really small and, you know, wasn't really doing much at that time. And the consultant sort of saying to me, well, you can try next month if you want. And they're thinking, well, have you seen like this child that I have in this buggy next to me? <laughs> and mm. you know, she, she was really small and I couldn't pick her up because I'd obviously had surgery and, you know, there, there was always kind of, you know, if you have any left, I think it's left sided shoulder uh, pain in the shoulder tip or is it right left side I can't remember but you know I, I, I was kind of basically on on kind of rupture watch and you know mm. the slightest sign that this pregnancy might be about to rupture and you need to come in straight away and I've been told in no uncertain terms that if they had to they'd you know I, I had to agree or my husband would have to agree for me to have a hysterectomy if that was mm. the only safe way so that was really That's scary right. as well really scary at that age to think that it could all be over yeah. That yeah. was very scary. And stress-wise, I mean, between the pair of you, you've obviously got a young child. You just don't know. The the medical professionals are dumbfounded by what's going on. How, mm-hmm. how were you in yourself? Because it's pretty traumatic, isn't it? Were you able to just try and have a positive outlook that they knew what was going on and hopefully, you know, it would be sorted? Or were you constantly kind of in fear? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to remember now. It's, I mean, it's 14 years ago, but I can still feel, you know, I can still feel a lump in my throat as I'm talking about it now, you know, and, and I still feel like that when I talk about my daughter as well. It's funny how fresh it is, even though it's a long time ago. But yeah, I was, I was, I was probably quite philosophical because I'd had my daughter, and although it'd been difficult, and I'd had some fertility problems with her, and she'd been born early, and that had been really stressful. That I think I was kind of quite pragmatic about it all. But the whole thing took a long time for me to recover from. And I felt like nobody really understood. Like I had a, a falling out with my dad, who's the loveliest dad in the world. But I remember my dad came around one day and I was just in floods of tears. And I was in floods of tears because I'd been out with my cousin. It, it was who, and who just suddenly told me that she was pregnant. And my my cousin had quite a quite a grown up daughter. So it was, it was quite unexpected news. It wasn't like some of my friends where I was expecting them to tell me they were pregnant every minute. And I, I hadn't said that I'd had an ectopic pregnancy and I just couldn't bring myself to say. But I came, you know, my dad came around, I was in floods of tears and my dad said, oh, oh, for God's sake, you know, you, you, you just need to 
can't you just be happy for other people? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he didn't mean it. It was just one of those things. I think he was upset that I was upset. And But I, I felt like people didn't really understand because I don't think ectopic pregnancy is very well understood. Anyway, mm. and my hormones have just been all over the place for months. You know, they were just going up. That's the H2G level going up and down, up and down. So I remember those years just being quite dark times. So, you know, I don't think I was ever depressed, but like clinically depressed but I don't remember those first few years of being a mum as being a great time because I was stressed for quite a lot of the time. Yeah I bet and this conversation in terms of secondary infertility I know you've talked about it as being one that we don't really talk about enough and you referred to Amy Schumer who had been sharing on her Instagram about her own struggles and you'd said how it had kind of opened up the floodgates, let's say, for people to talk about it, because we don't, because it is dismissed, as you've said, by society. What, what do you think we need to do to help people understand more about it? Because you don't necessarily want to have to tell them what you've just told us every time, do you? Yeah, I think it's just talking more. So I had a, another piece published in The Guardian a few years ago, Miscarriage Awareness Week, which was about how to talk to somebody who's had a, a miscarriage and, and just, you know, the right things to say and not to say. And I've run over the last five years or so, I've run four London marathons to raise money for miscarriage awareness. Well done. And I've run for the Ectopic Pregnancy Trust as well. And that's in a way, it's given me an excuse to talk about it. And it's given me an excuse to to kind of post about it on social media and share my, my experience. But it's really interesting in sharing those stories. And actually, with the Ectopic Pregnancy Trust, I remember writing on my just giving page or my virgin giving page. Apologies, but the next bit is going to be a bit gruesome. But I was basically describing the symptoms of an ectopic pregnancy. And one of them was this brown bleeding. And I think, you know, mm. a lot of women don't know that because nobody ever talks about it nobody ever talks about miscarriages and some of the signs and and symptoms but in doing so it made people more open to talk to me so people sort of messaged me on social media I had like ladies coming up to me at fundraisers like people's mums and grandmas and like stuffing cash into my hand and saying you know I had a miscarriage in 1960 whatever it was or 1950 and it still hurts I still remember it now and I just think that there's I don't know, it's, it's such a difficult thing to talk about. And I felt like until it happened to me, I probably didn't understand it. You know, I remember my cousin telling me a story, another cousin telling me a story about a friend of theirs who'd miscarried twins and they'd all been down the pub and then my cousin had announced her pregnancy and this woman had burst into tears. And before it happened to me, I kind of thought, oh, that's a bit insensitive, this woman, because I had no idea what it was like to lose a baby and how much that affects you. You know, and I had friends sending me like scan photos on Facebook and things like that, you know, knowing full well I'd just had an ectopic pregnancy like a few weeks before. And I just think that we just don't talk about it enough. But when you do start talking about it, so when I started writing about it more because of the marathon fundraising, all sorts of people, like people I'd known for years who I would never have known they'd had a miscarriage. I'd never have known that they'd had an ectopic pregnancy. And I just think we don't talk about it enough. And I don't Mm. know if it's because maybe it's a little bit embarrassing and talking about things like bleeding and, and, you know, talking about some of the symptoms is a bit kind of yucky. But when you do start to talk about it, it's amazing how many people have, have just got through it in silence and they've never mentioned it to anybody. And I also think one of the bigger problems as well, and I had this debate with my mum all the time because my mum lost a baby sort of quite late, about 16, 16 weeks. And my mum says, and she says, well, you know, the trouble is with your generation is that you have these hypersensitive pregnancy tests. So she says in the olden days, you know, like we wouldn't have known that we were pregnant, you know, and we might have had a heavy period or something. We might have had a miscarriage and not known about it. But of course, now 
everybody knows from early on. But I kind of think, well, we can't turn back time, can we? That's kind of how it is. And I think one of the things that really compounds the problem for me is not feeling that you can tell people before 12 weeks because if you haven't told people that you're pregnant and you've been doing this whole oh we're not going to say anything until after the first scan it becomes much harder to tell people that you've lost a baby whereas Mm, I think when I had my topic pregnancy it was kind of easier to tell people because I had been talking about it because I wasn't so hung up you know the second time around with everything that's happened I just kind of told people what was happening and then it felt much easier to have that conversation but you know, when you haven't told a soul about it and you're kind of, oh, we're going to keep it secret, we have our first scan. And mm-hmm. I, I partly think people do that as well as, I don't know, they, they don't do it for the right reasons. They do it for almost like then we can make this big announcement on social media and whatever. But it's it's much harder to untell people or to tell people you've lost a baby if you've, never, if you've not discussed Absolutely. it at all. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I see that a lot. And also there seems to be this unspoken rule, like you say, doesn't there? Of, oh, gosh, we mustn't tell anyone until 12 weeks. And I think that in many ways that's because there is this obviously this risk of or the risk is greater to have a miscarriage in early pregnancy so it's kind of become this thing that you just don't talk about it you don't tell anyone and I agree with you I think it's so much worse because then when you do miscarry you haven't got the support around you because nobody knew in the first place Mm. so it is really difficult but one thing that I wanted to ask you a bit more about is something that I see happens really commonly in things like Facebook groups and forums that if you've got a child already you're almost ostracized when you want to join these groups because you're not almost not welcome but I really feel that your desire to have a second baby a third baby a fourth baby is just as great but different to your first one your first one I think you always want for you as a couple and to maybe start your family but the second one you want for to be a sibling to your existing child as well as the fact clearly you want another baby yourself but there's a there's a greater I'm not saying that one is better more greater than the other but it's just a different desire the second time around and what was your experiences what did you, I mean, I know you've mentioned in your article that you had a number of people say really quite negative things for you, to you, but did you also go into forums looking for support and help and Facebook groups and found the same or what was your experience? I never went into any forums or anything like that or, I mean, I might have maybe read things, <clears throat> excuse me, on uh, mum's net or places like that. So I never felt particularly excluded in that way, but I did feel like my friends who had kids, like, you know, they had two or three kids already, I felt like they just didn't really understand. And I remember one person saying to me, well, you strike me as a really determined person. So if you really wanted to have another child, then you would. And this was around, you know, the whole thing about whether I was going to go to fertility treatment. And the truth for me was that, you know, Partly it was a financial thing. We didn't really have that kind of money at the time. But also because I'd been through so much with the premature delivery and I knew I had this liver condition and I'd also had an ectopic pregnancy and there felt like there were so many different factors going on that it didn't feel as cut and dry. You know, to have somebody say to you, well, oh, it, you know, you're obviously a very determined person when it comes to your career. Like, I kind of feel if you really wanted another child, you'd just kind of go for it. You know, that that kind of comment really really does hurt you know, as if I wasn't trying hard enough and yeah I just think there's all these other emotions that go through because you know I always wanted three or four children that was always what I wanted and because I'm quite career focused people generally assume I've only got one child out of choice so and you'd sort of have people make these kind of 
comments about only children being spoiled and you know these kind mm. of little snide little comments and that was quite kind of hard to take and you know I'm hugely aware how lucky I am to have have my daughter and particularly all of the circumstances I'm so lucky to have her and and you know that is just amazing and and you know I feel so grateful to have her but it doesn't mean that that yearning wasn't there it's just natural and it's natural to want to complete your family and as she gets older I worry about what's going to happen to her because she's going to be you know I just really hope she meets someone's nice and she's you know I worry that she's going to be all on her own in the world and she isn't going to have anyone to look after her which is kind of silly really because you know I've got a brother and you know we're not exactly super close or anything but there's all these things I think that other people probably don't imagine that you think about and they they've never had to consider it because they've had a number of healthy pregnancies and so I certainly I I didn't sort of feel excluded by people who already had a child but I also felt very conscious I knew that my situation wasn't as bad as theirs so I didn't want to be that person that kind of went in and said woe is me even though what I knew what I was experiencing was horrible I knew it wasn't as bad as not having a child at all so it's always difficult because you're always negotiating those sensitivities and it's the same with the miscarriage thing as well although I've had you know a little bit of a bad time of it I've had a number of friends who've, who've lost a baby, you know, given birth to a baby at you know, 23, 24 weeks. And I know that what's happened to me is not in the same league. So I think part of the problem is, is that you're always negotiating these very sort of sensitive issues and, you know, trying to be aware of what other people have gone through. And it's just a bit of a minefield. I think one of the things that I feel quite strongly about is that the use of language around it when people talk to you about do you only have one child or do you just have one child when like you've described what you've been through and whatever it's taken for you to get there and we all do compare and you know I know that in the work I do with this podcast we were successful first time with our fertility treatment and I've often felt that I've not been justified to be commenting when people are talking about you know years of struggle however the secondary you know infertility and we've we've been sharing our decision to not have further treatment you know in a similar way that you've talked about it it's still hard and you use the word agony in the headline of the piece that we were talking about the agony of not being able to give your child a sibling how do you think we can try and encourage the conversation in I suppose the language that people use when they talk about this because I get quite frustrated people saying do you only have one child I almost feel like correcting them you know saying that there's nothing only about my child Yeah, I think, again, it just comes back to talking about it more. I mean, when I've had quite frank conversations with friends and when sometimes I've been brave enough to say to them, do you know, that kind of hurts when you say that. And you don't always feel up to it because it's a a tough place to go. So I just think talking about it more. I feel I'm lucky because I've had the opportunity to write about it, to talk about it on the radio, TV. Like I've, I've had the opportunity to to talk about it in a kind of public space, which is great. And hopefully that's sort of helpful to, to other women as well. And I think every time there is a story in the news on the radio or TV, with somebody talking about it, it does make it that little bit easier. Yeah. But it is a tough thing. Like I remember having, you know, when I had my ectopic pregnancy and I just remember sitting there and just thinking, like, who can I phone? Who can I talk to? And I felt like, I felt like there was no one out there that could really understand what I'd gone through. And, and funny enough, I recently met up with a, a friend, uh, you know, not a close friend, but a running friend who, who'd who had a, an ectopic pregnancy. And she said the same thing. Like, I feel like you're the only person I can talk to because we've had this experience that's so unique to us and it's not something that other people have experienced. So I just think talking about it more, and I know certainly all of the content that I've created around my marathons, and I've said it a few times, but 
it's just helped people feel confident to come forward and talk about it and have that conversation. I'm amazed some of the conversations I've had with women who've just kind of kept all types of fertility and miscarriage and problems having children have kept it to themselves for years and years and it's just somebody started so it's like somebody needs to start the conversation first and then once you open that conversation everybody's got something to share exactly and that's kind of why we're making this podcast series focusing on the conversation around miscarriage and about the need to talk about it and no matter how long ago it happened like you said people coming up saying that this happened to them however many years ago yet yeah, it's still so painful thank you so much for sharing your experience and we'll put links like I say not only to the charities but also to the different articles that you've written because I think if people can you know identify with them as well like all the content that we put out then we know that it helps even if it just reaches one person and makes them feel mm. less alone then absolutely that's the point of what we're doing that's so true thank you so thank much you, for Janet. your time oh thank you thanks for having me Cheers, Janet. Gosh, I had no idea and we didn't really have a chance to explore it, Kate, about there being a link between liver issues and fertility. Is that something that yes. you've heard before? I have from the autoimmune side, oh, yeah. yeah. But it's something that, you know, is way out of my area of expertise. That is kind of a real specialist area. But yeah, the autoimmune side can cause many different issues. So yeah, interesting, fascinating actually listening to her. And that idea of the eptopic being... Not even where you'd expect it to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I said during the, the podcast, it is really rare. It doesn't happen very often, but I have seen it happen, and it, it can be in various different places. And you just think, how how physically can that occur? But it can. And I think the whole whole thing really, and the worrying thing is that it could be misdiagnosed. And I guess that the issue that they had for Janet was actually diagnosing it because with a traditional ectopic, like I said, you would expect to be able to identify it before then. But if it's not in the fallopian tubes and the pregnancy can go on for a a number of weeks and that can make it more complicated. We're going to put all the links to the show notes for this episode um, with with Janet's links, as we said, and also the different associations. And as always, if you have any questions about what we've been talking about, because we never, ever are doing this to scare you. We're doing it to educate and empower you and inform you and, you know, to pose questions to you specialists where, wherever you're at, or you can come back and ask us. So that email is info at the fertilitypodcast.com. If we haven't got back to you, we will be getting back to you. We are keeping tabs on the inbox. You can also follow us on our social media. I'm at Fertility Poddy. And I'm at Your Fertility Journey. And also remember, you can rate, review, subscribe and share this podcast. And I am asking more because I've noticed that when we ask, you do it. Thank Yay. you. And we're going to start actually mentioning those of you that are leaving reviews because I think it's a nice way to say thank you. Rosie Baby 613 said, loving every episode I've heard, would recommend to all couples who struggled with fertility. HDay21 said, thank you for this informative but light podcast. I'm learning something new from every episode because we have also started our tea break pods, which are going down very well. Ness JH said, this podcast has given me so much information and things to reflect on. I really look forward to it coming out each week and it helps me to not feel alone. Great, lovely. lovely. Thank you, guys. To give you your shout out. Yeah, thank you. And thank you as always for your support. Until the next time.